What's up? This is episode 50 of the Becoming Human podcast. I'm excited for this one. In this episode, I sit down with Matan Tao. Matan hiked the Appalachian Trail, a 2,190-mile trail that spans 14 states on the East Coast. A number of years later, he decided to hike the Pacific Crest Trail, a 2,600-mile trail that spans from Mexico through the United States to the border of Canada, ending just in my backyard here in Washington. I've picked up a couple through hikers, and their stories are epic, and they always seem to be friends that started off as strangers on the trail. I would imagine something like that would create a sense of community, togetherness bound by trying to accomplish something. And I would stretch it further as a community bound by purpose, a temporary purpose, sure, to complete a trail. I've always wondered what it would be like to live day to day for long periods of time. I'm fascinated by what it must be like to live day in and day out with only a handful of intentions from walking 20 miles, 25 miles, eating, and then as the sun sets, going to sleep. Such simple and rhythmic experiences. And I wonder if it would be freeing or confining, if it would be madness towards the end or like leaving a best friend behind. I imagine these experiences would shape you. Not just your feet, but your mind. It would bring out the best and the worst of you. For even on my small three or five day trips, I'm confronted by my innermost demons. That asshole that will just non-stop berate me or tell me that I must turn back. And it's too cold. I'm not going to be able to make it through. But that's a very personal thing. However, I believe when you're out in the wilderness or you're confronting difficulties on a day-to-day basis that are inescapable because it means your own survival, you must meet your bullshit. You can't ignore it. I love Matan. He's so easygoing, has an open mind, and always has a smile on his face. I know his story will be epic. And now, it's time for me to prepare for my trip on the PCT for summer 2019. I'm stoked for it. I've already got this summer's trips planned. And I got some new gear. And I'm excited to get out there. What is a trail angel? Trail angels is a, is it's kind of a subculture that that developed with with hikers coming back to the trail to kind of give back. Uh, in a lot of, a lot of cases, uh, past hikers uh, just camp at a certain spot, you know, car camp at a certain spot, uh-huh. and uh, they uh, bring a bunch of food and beer and mm-hmm. you know barbecue and and they do it at the spot where you don't expect it. So you're hiking the trail in the middle of nowhere and you get to this campsite and there's a a guy just handing out hamburgers and beer and you can just like relax, you know? So we call them trail angels. Trail magic. Yeah, trail magic. And uh, I've, I've, you know, I've 
crossed a lot of incidences, you know, amazing trail magic, people hosting me in their homes, people, you know, just leaving uh, coolers with food and drink on the trail. Tell me about a time that someone's hosted you in their home. Um, there was a, there was a town, well, there's a few places, um, especially on the Appalachian Trail, which is very, it goes through a lot of towns. And, uh, it was in Pennsylvania, I think. There was a town, and the, the guy was actually in the guidebook. It was so weird because he's hosted so many uh, hikers that, you know, the guidebook actually specified that if you call this guy, you may be able to let you camp on his lawn because there was no campsites before and after town, and if you want to take a break, you can't really camp anywhere in town, you know. The trail kind of goes through the streets and gets out of town the other side. Mm-hmm. So... <laughs> he was I, I I walked through town and I knew the address and I walked by the house and I kind of stopped there and there was nobody at home and so I kind of waited for a little bit and the guy showed up and he goes you're hiking the trail and I said yeah and he said do you, do you need a place to camp at night and I said yeah so he's like camp on my lawn and then he so first of all you have to understand is as through hikers you spend months and months eating trail food and not showering and sleeping on the ground you know so every like little perk, ride yeah right? like noodles and ramen and you know mac and cheese and whatever you know stuff that's light yeah. and so every what we call town food you know every little perk like taking a shower uh is it's a big deal you know and you, you get out of the trail and you're <laughs> dirty and then you're in the you're in your tent in this guy's yard and he comes out with a huge banana split you know oh my god <laughs> you know and i was sitting there and he comes up to my tent and i was the only hiker there t- that day and he goes uh here you go and then he asked me if i needed a, a ride to town because he knows hikers need to resupply you know you need to go to the store and to get some supplies i usually get to town i get the supplies for the next week or two so he offered to drive me to town. He drove me to town. He took me to a restaurant. <laughs> he paid for my food. Uh, and then, you know, I went. he took me back to the store. I did my shopping. He took me back to his house, said goodnight, and I didn't see him the next morning. You know, I woke up. He wasn't even there. Wow. And that happened, you know, several times during my hikes. Mm-hmm. I have several places like these. Um, no that, reimbursement at all. Just well, you leave, you know you could leave a donation, mm-hmm. or you could leave you know whatever you need. Sometimes they have what they call a uh, you know, what was it called a magic box? I think it was like basically box. a hiker box. You know whatever you don't need, you leave. So the next hiker comes in, you know he comes, hey duct tape, I need duct tape. Hey, there's like ramen noodles. Hey, there's whatever you don't need. You know you don't want to carry it anymore. Instead of throwing it away, you leave it in the box. Since it's on the trail, and people stop there all the time, if there's a hiker box, hiker box, mm-hmm. hiker box, that's mm-hmm. what it was called. If there's a hiker box, you know, you go look in there first because there could be something you need, you know, a headlamp, uh, something that somebody else didn't need. It's community. You yeah, know? It's, it's an intense level of community. You're looking out for people you've never even met. Well, that's... the the Appalachian Trail is is very uh, much community oriented you know the the pacific crest is a little more spread out and there there aren't there aren't uh shelters or lean-tos to camp there's only campsites and a lot of people just camp in between so you meet a lot less people 
on the on the AT the traffic is is a lot denser especially in the first southern parts of the trail mm-hmm. and through the national parks and so uh, it c- creates community and also the Appalachian Trail is something very unique there is there's shelters that have been built by an army of volunteers that is you know every state every region has their own group of volunteers but they're all connected through the ATC something and are these shelters like gazebos or are they a lot more some of them are pretty elaborate. Most of them are just clean twos, you know, three walls, a roof, and a wooden floor. But they're off the ground, <coughs> and, and uh, they're closed on three sides and the roof. So if it's raining, you know, you have somewhere to be. A lot of times I, re- I preferred uh, sleeping in my tent because they're full of mice usually. You know, there's, oh. there's hiker food, mm-hmm. so they're full of mice. So only if, you don't, if it's pouring down rain... Or, you know, if you're just camping there by yourself, if there's a group of hikers and they're all in a shelter, I mean, we're talking, what, 15 feet by 10 feet, you know? So, so we're side by side on the floor and people mm-hmm. snore. And What is a group? How many on average would be, what would you consider a group of hikers? Like five different people? Yeah, it could be, you know. I, I had a kind of like a core group because what happens is that you start off and you meet people in the first few days, the first month or so, and then you kind of keep moving up north at the same sort of rate, sort of pace, so you keep meeting each other. Like, you take a couple of days off in this town, and they catch up. It's all one trail. So you end up crossing each other's path, and it creates a group of hikers. And you kind of find yourself moving up north with them, and stopping in the same towns with them, and taking the same zero days with them, like zero hiking days, or zero mile days. In certain towns, so because you know these people and you know you like their company, and so it creates like <clears throat> almost a, um, a that season's community that did know each other, and the lean-tos have registers in them. They have uh, logs, and everybody logs in. Huh. So if if my friends were here a couple of days ahead of me, because they were hiking hiking really fast, right? And they're getting there before me. They can leave a message. Hey, we'll be in this town in a couple of days. If you catch up, you know, we're taking a zero day. We can meet you there. Stuff like that, you know. Yeah, so it's like you create your own, like, traveling trout, if you will. Yeah, and you take a trail name. Oh. So you, 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 you make yourself a trail. You make, or either, either somebody gives you a trail name, which is usually not preferable, because usually if you get a trail name from somebody, it's... It, it, it's it, <laughs> it's not <laughs> um, Daniel McHugh. Uh, he, he rolls with us in jujitsu. Yeah, his trail name's Wooly. Yeah, <laughs> I was I was on the on the AT. I was a uh, woodpecker. Woodpecker? <laughs> no, I was a woodpecker. Woodpecker? Yeah. <clears throat> What's the story behind that? I don't I don't remember. I don't remember, to be honest. That's like 20 years ago, man. I don't remember how I got the name. Somehow, maybe I even, I even thought about myself because I didn't want anybody else to, <laughs> to come up with a lame one. Um, but there was a guy, I remember this story because he fell. Uh, and he fell, in, he, you know, he rolled down the side of the hill. Ooh. And uh, he landed in a very awkward position uh, like like a 70s disco position, you know, and his name was Disco from disco. then on. Yeah, his name was Disco. And uh, on on when I was hiking the 
the the PCT in 2009, I I started off. um, My girlfriend at the time, who is now my wife, um, had a little boy, and uh, when he didn't want to take a bath, we we called it a bubble party. (laughs) <laughs> and then he would always jump in, you know, he was happy to take, to, to have a bubble party. <laughs> and as long as it's not a bath, you know, and it was a big joke in our family. And I, I kind of took on that name. So my name was Bubble Party. <laughs> bubble Party, yes. <laughs> and uh, that's that's the name I went with. Uh, uh, it's kind of stuck, you know, and everybody loved that name too. So I kind of, you know. I liked it too. I love it. Looking at things differently. <laughs> <laughs> what made you want to um, hike the PCT after the ACT? Was it the 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 Appalachian Trail was something that I did almost on a whim because I had other plans, and so I was planning, you know, my original plan because I did the I did the military in the Israel, you know. And my original plan was to go uh, travel in New Zealand. I wanted to see New Zealand. Place is beautiful. <laughs> and you know, you know, it, back then it was even less traveled a little bit. You know, back in the late nineties. You yeah. know, so it's a little seductive when it's yeah, yeah rugged. Yeah, exactly. And it was it was far and hard to get to. And it was one of those you know I want to I want to go somewhere else. So, you know, somebody didn't go before. And then I, I, you know, I was living here in the states, and I read this article that a friend sent me over from Israel. It was, you know, weird that I heard about this trail in an article in the magazine from Israel about an Israeli girl that that hiked the trail and you know wrote an article or hiked, hiked part of it. Wow! And I started reading it, and, and I'm like, I'm I'm he- I'm already here, <laughs> you know. And I, I don't know if I'm you know, how long I'll be here for, and if I'll have another chance like this. So I I lived in LA at the time and I decided, you know, it's an East Coast Trail. I didn't even know about the PCT at the time. The mm-hmm. the, the the West Coast Trail, the Appalachian Trail, was the only famous one. Mm, yeah, you know, the the only one that a lot of people were attempting to hike. Mm-hmm. And uh, I started like you know I I like you said I became obsessive. Mm-hmm. I I literally because I was, I never really did long long-term hikes you know you go on marches in the in the military for for a half a day you know it's you know to 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 step up to the next stage you oh, know it, to earn your beret whatever like to earn your pin or is it more of like a uh no because you know it's under pressure it's it, it's night you know you're there you're being rushed it's not like it's not like hiking you don't get to take pictures yeah. <laughs> you know not so you, you you run for 50 miles and then you like heal your feet for a couple of days and you so when you when when you decided to go hiking on a long long distance trail I didn't know what I was going into. <laughs> I had no real idea, you know. So I went out, and, and I had a little money at the time. I went out and buy, bought all, the, you know, the best gear that I could find. And as far as I was concerned, the best gear was the most expensive gear. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and like, you know, I invested in all these like, and, and my my backpack was huge, you know. I, I had like, I th- I think in in cubic inches it was like. I think six thousand cubic inches. You know, one of those big ones. It's a hundred liter. That's even bigger than an elk hunting backpack. I don't know. I, I don't know. That's Maybe I'm exaggerating. No. I think it was a hundred liter. You know, I still have it, by the I, way. Yeah, I was gonna say there's. I've seen um, packs that are six thousand to eight thousand, and I had a buddy who brought on a backpacking trip. It was his first time. He brought a pack that was like six thousand cubic meters. He also had 
a um, a metal, an aluminum frame for the pack, and he yeah. was like just barely Old walking school. along. Yeah, you know, it's not necessarily worse. It's just a little more bulky. So if you're, you know, the new packs are a little more, you know, slim. Uh, and ergonomic, and they, they fit you a little better. They're, you know, just a little more comfortable and more, mm-hmm. more centered towards the center of your body, so it's easier to carry. Anyway, I thought I knew everything about it because I read all the books, right? And so I went and bought all this gear and a huge tent. I had like a two or it's like a two or three person, four season tent, you know, with, with the cover and everything and heavy boots that. I let her realize I don't need, you know, it's better to hike in sneakers. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and I was carrying this whole, you know, ridiculous things. You know, when you start off and you don't know what you need and what you don't need. And, you know, this whole first aid kit uh, with the first aid book <laughs> that comes with it, which was like at least an inch thick, you know. It's a big book. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, what could happen? You know, you're going out in the woods in Appalachia. <laughs> and uh, I basically the, the way I planned it was, you know, I was I was eating as much as I could to gain as much weight as I could because I wasn't going to eat much in the next six months. And I was I went on a couple of short hikes for like a few hours because that was my physical preparation. Mm-hmm. That that was basically <laughs> it, you know. Yeah. And then uh, you know I was like I, March 16th. I remember the date. I you know I, March 15th. I took the bus from Connecticut all the way to Georgia. Um, got off the bus in Georgia and started walking back. (laughs) 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 And then, and then it just, it took me six and a half months, you know, and, and you realize very quickly if it's something you want to do or not, Mm. you know, two weeks. I, I think most of the people that made it after one month, if they had the intention of finishing, they did finish, unless they had physical issues, you know? What is that point in your mind where you can make that determination? At what point can you decide? That you're going to continue with this? Like, what's going through your head? I, I knew I was going to do the whole thing. For me, it was, for me, it was, you know, if I don't do this now, I'll never do this. I'll know if something else would come up, you know, I'll never, I, I didn't go to New Zealand, you know, so, and I probably will never, <laughs> never go, you know, unless, you know, something comes up. I have a family now, mm-hmm. you know, so for me, once I started it, uh, if I gotten hurt, yeah, you know, I'd go home, but otherwise I just wanted to keep walking. First of all, it, once you get used to it, it's an amazing feeling. It's, you don't have to do anything but walk and eat and sleep <laughs> i mean it's so uh liberating you know when you're just walking out there and i you know i i had no obligations back then i i had no those things i had to go back to really uh so I, I you know probably had to find a job when i got back but i didn't have a job to go back to you know i mm-hmm. i made my money for the trip and i was like when i finish i'll i'll see what happens <laughs> that's not a now thing it's it's later, the you know, it's six yeah. months later. It's a ton of time when you're wow. 22, you know? Yeah, that'd be so freeing. And so um, I started walking, and within the first two weeks, I was suffering. I was, you know, my heavy boots were, were ripping into my feet. 
it, blisters turn into like you know the, the feet literally look, the the skin rips, and then it it was wet, it was raining, some of the time, and even snowed a little bit in Georgia. We had we had like it wasn't much, you know, it was mm-hmm. one one or two days, but it was a, a, a bunch of snow for one day. And hiking in the snow is a whole different story, especially if you, if you haven't prepared for it. Yeah, and with the heavy boots, it get wet. You know, leather boots. People think you know you get you get heavy waterproof leather boots but the the more waterproof they are at first the longer they take to dry <laughs> once they get really wet you know big heavy leather boots boots if you're walking through the snow and snow got packed in and they get really wet they'll stay wet for days and they freeze overnight you know oh i never thought about that my vibrams and other runners that i've had those things will dry in like 30 minutes exactly that's what <laughs> you want you want sneakers you want things that get wet fast but also dry out fast uh, carry an extra pair of socks if you don't like wet, walking around in wet socks but you get used to it <laughs> you know you get walk through a forest your feet get wet uh mm-hmm. and you, you walk through the wilderness you know some people walk barefoot I wouldn't probably recommend it because there's like rattlesnakes back east. But <laughs> you seem to to find comfort in what some people would consider uh, misery. Has that always been the case? <laughs> <laughs> I don't like pain. If that's what you're asking, <laughs> I don't like pain. I don't like discomfort. But if I find that once you're in the position of discomfort and you take yourself to your limit, you find that your limits. Are, are are way farther out there than you thought they were, mm-hmm. and that what you considered to be very inconvenient and uncomfortable two weeks ago is actually heaven right now, you know. So you're getting, you know, for the first two weeks, I would get to the end of my day and I'd be like, you know, I'm sweaty, my feet stink, uh, I'm dirty, I'm hungry, really hungry. I'm very tired, so I don't feel like pitching my tent. And now, like, oh, this ground is hard. And then, you know, two months in, you find yourself, because you got into shape, mm-hmm. you know, and your feet hardened. And uh, you, you drop a lot of weight out of your pack, <laughs> got rid of a lot of stuff. And you started, you know, enjoying the trip. And then, you, you know, you get to your campsite, you're not so tired anymore. Mm-hmm. And you're not so aching anymore. And, uh, um, you're still very hungry, but you know you learn how to make your food faster and pitch your tent faster and get your water faster, and you, it becomes enjoyable. You know, it becomes something that you look forward to, mm. and you used to hate putting your shoes back in the morning on and start hiking again because your feet are so swollen from the day before. It, it's hard to put them back into the shoes, and. Uh, uh, you don't want to use your clean pair of socks, so you're going to rewear your socks for the third time, you know. And they dried overnight a little bit. And so, you know, at first it was just, uh, why am I doing this to myself? You know, why? What for? And then, <clears throat> again, you start looking forward, you know, to putting your shoes on in the morning and throwing your backpack on your back and just like putting the miles in you know i I got 25 miles to put in today i gotta start going you know you wake up you you have your routines um it's just it's so peaceful you know it's so peaceful there's nothing that tells you when to wake up Mm -hmm. but somehow 
your biology starts waking you up when the sun comes up because that's because that's what we do you know it gets dark you get to your campsite right before it's dark you cook your food you you know you, you talk some crap with the people that are there and then everybody's like all right time to sleep you know gets in our tent and and go to sleep because a there's nothing else to do there's no tv there's no phone sitting around the fire and saying, you know, how great the day was lasts as long as everybody starts nodding off. You're done. <laughs> it's dark. Mm-hmm. You're going to sleep. Yeah. I mean, it gets dark around 10. How long can one sleep? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can't turn all the lights on in the house and make it daylight again. Exactly. So you go to sleep. You know, you wake up when the sun comes up. If you want, you feel lazy, you can stay the day. You know, I've been places where you camp by a lake. <clears throat> you wake up. I have enough supplies for the next three days. The next town is just a couple of days over. So I'm going to take a day. <laughs> you know, stay by the lake. Why not? Yeah. You know? It's a freedom that's very hard to <laughs> to copy or to, mm-hmm. to, to attain here. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in like real life, what I call real life, quote mm-hmm. unquote. <clears throat> Especially when you go through putting in all those miles. And I imagine having that day where you're by a lake. And you're not waiting on anyone. You're just meeting your needs. You know, eat when you're hungry, swim when you want, and just spend your day. No distraction yeah. to carry you off. Yeah. That would be so liberating. It's unbelievable. I, and the, yeah. No, the, sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. There there are places that, you know, if if you just keep walking, uh, you, you kind of miss them. You know, there's there's certain places you can't just go like, oh, that's nice, and just keep walking. Mm-hmm. Certain places, you know, you get to in the Sierras in Washington up here, it starts, you, you have to fucking stop. Mm-hmm. You have to stop and like for a day, at least you, you have to you tell yourself like, I'm never going to get here again, ever, you know, unless I hike the trail again, you know what I mean? And I'm not going to do it again, probably. Mm-hmm. <coughs> so you stop for a day, a two, three sometimes. If there's a trail angel... Oh, yeah. You know, there's places in Oregon that there's a guy um, just <coughs> that I hiked with, and um, he couldn't keep hiking or something. He got injured, and he went back home to Seattle. And that's when we were back in beginning of Oregon down south. And he decided to, you know, he had the rest of the summer off. He decided to come back to the trail and do some trail magic, right? For him, it was camping, but he brought a, a whole bunch of good stuff, food and beer, and he camped in the, near this lake in Oregon. And uh, I got there and uh, um, recognized him immediately, of course, and he's like, yeah, I'm doing some trail magic. You want to stick around? And I just stayed for a couple of nights, you know, because he was camping there and Hikers were passing us, you know, and I'm like, I'm on the lake chilling. I don't even mm-hmm. have to carry anything, you know. <laughs> why yeah. not? I was just, why not? Enjoy you have. It. it feels like you have all the time in the world. That's the difference between here and now. So even if I go out now, I find a day that I have time to go mm-hmm. to yeah. the lake, whatever, to the river, go fishing. You know, it, there's always going to be that point where you have to kind of look at your watch and mm-hmm. go like, I've got something to do. i got to get back home. You know, I gotta pick up the kid. I gotta, and I I like that mm-hmm. in in my my new life. You know, I like I like having this 
I have stuff to do. I need I need to be somewhere and I have a purpose. But for six months at a time, if you if you can take the time off and go and and it, it doesn't cost as much as people think, you know, if you can stinge it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, budget it. Uh, budget it. Then uh, for six months at a time, there's no looking at the clock. There's, yeah. That's so much presence because I find myself like I'll do yoga or jujitsu, and the thing that pulls me out of it is when I'm like, what am I going to have for lunch today? Mm-hmm. Or, oh, wait, how much more time do I have? And I'm not there mm-hmm. at all. I'm just bouncing on you know what I'm going to do. And Some, sometimes in this, in you know, our our, our crazy life doesn't let us take a break you know I take a break sometimes but you, there's something to do you know and even when we have nothing to do we'll we'll click the TV on mm-hmm. or we'll turn on our phone you know we'll do we'll, we have to do something we can't just sit at home and stare at a wall well when you're hiking you can literally stop and stare for like an hour you know you, you get to the top of the mountain and uh, and it's just too good to, to move on you know so you'll stop and stare at, at whatever there is there the, the next mountain over that huge river underneath you uh, because it's amazing to look at and because there's nothing else to do what, what else would you do you know it's very it's very it's the definition of freedom as far as I'm concerned you know and that's why I fell in love with it and it takes me back to the question because you asked me a question actually mm-hmm. is when I was hiking the, the Appalachian Trail I didn't know about the Pacific Crest Trail that was 10 years before and I met a guy that hiked the, the halfway through the AT you know so I'm all into it now I'm a hiker now <laughs> yeah. right big beard lost my weight oh, you know you big beard oh yeah big beard you know big bushy curly hair Ooh. and uh, I lost a bunch of weight and so I'm like you know Talking gear with everybody. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're obsessed. You're in yeah, it. yeah. And then you know we met this guy who told us, "Yeah, I hiked the PCT last year." And I was like, "What's the PCT?" Eyes get all big. And uh, you know, he told me a little bit about. I, mean, I I didn't get the chance to learn much about it at that point. Went back home to Israel. Ten years later, I got back to the states. Um. And uh, it was sort of the plan, not exactly, because I was my my back was injured at the time. And I was just getting back on my feet, and uh, for half for almost a year, I was kind of thinking about it, thinking about it. And then I was like, "Yeah, I'm going to do it," because I was making money, and I was like, "You know, I could afford it." Mm-hmm. And uh, I met my wife right before I left. Like Ooh. a month, be- oh, not a month, I would say six months before I left. So it was a hard decision to make. Uh, you know, we had Corbin, her little boy, which I love very much. And it was, it was hard. You know, at that point, I had something that I'm leaving behind. Mm-hmm. Um, but for, for me, and I, did, I really did this egotistically for me. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I was like, if, if we're going to st- start a family, if we're going to do this, I need to. I need to do this. Yeah, you got to take care of yourself first, and well, then it wasn't about taking my care of myself first. It was more uh, giving myself a, one more kind of like this chunk of freedom, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. that I needed. Um, I needed uh, t- to be out in the mountains again because I really miss the mountains. Mountains is something that really kind of again, it's an obsession, you know. Once you get to love the mountains. 
It draws you back. Like <laughs> they call yes. you back. Big, big mountains with cliffs and snow. And, yeah, I'm you waiting know. for June, man. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, the PCT, the more I read about it, the more I, you know, talked to people, I understood that it's like this, the next step, you know. You, you've got to, if you, if you hike the Appalachian Trail and you, 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 want, you want to hike another long trail, there's the PCT and there's the CDT, which is the Continental Divide Trail, mm. um, which is is not completed technically. Uh, it's just a continuation of several trails that are connected together, oh. and so there's not like one long official trail, I guess, finished yet mm-hmm. or something. It goes through a lot of private land, and and that's through like Mo- or from Mexico to the Colorado area, Wyoming. Yeah, to through New Mexico, through the Rockies, mm-hmm. basically okay. through Yellowstone. Ooh. Yeah. It's it's a beautiful trail. It's not as, I from what I hear, mm-hmm. you know, <clears throat> established. Not as established yeah. and as the AT, uh, definitely, and the PCT as well, which is also pretty far out there. Really? The PCT, yeah, it goes. I mean, a lot of the trail goes through national parks and and you know well traveled trails, but a lot of it goes through. The middle of nowhere, <laughs> the, country. like the, the the deepest wilderness I've ever been. Wow. Let's put it this way, you know. I don't know if it's not Alaska, but California is vast, you know. And mm-hmm. some of these places are very far from anywhere. A lot of people think city in California. <clears throat> yet I would counter there is vast amounts of wilderness. In California. The desert in California, all of Southern California, mm-hmm. is very spread out, <clears throat> very far apart with water sources, mm-hmm. um, which is. One of the solutions is, you know, trail angels leave water uh, sachets or what do you call it? Um, water, uh, water bladders? Well, basically, they they hike up or take a donkey up or a car if they can to a place where the trail meets a road or a dirt road with a bunch <coughs> of water through sections of the trail that don't have, that water sources are dried out. Mm. So we have, we have a guidebook or several guidebooks and they state where the, Water sources are very important, especially in Southern California, because there's no mm-hmm. water. You need to carry a lot of water with you. Mm-hmm. So if it's every 20, 25 miles, that's that's fine. You know, you can carry enough water. You know, you drink up before you leave. You carry a lot of water, and you're a little thirsty when you get there. All right? If it's 30 or 40 miles, that's hard, you know. you got to plan it. So some people um, hike through the night a little bit. You know, because it's cooler, you don't lose as much, you don't you don't perspire as much. Um, some people uh, plan it so that they they sleep halfway there, so they'll start hiking, get to the end of the day, and then finish the uh, get to the water source the middle of the next day kind of okay. thing. You know, but then you have to kind of be careful when you're cooking. You can't use water. You know, you have to. Um, and then if it gets too far, like 50, 60 miles between water sources, sometimes if it's really dry year, the creeks are dry. It's, it's a desert, you know. Some of the creeks are unreliable. So, yes, there's sometimes sections that are that long. Not always. But then what happens is uh, volunteers, trail angels, um, bring up water in hundreds of bottles. It's amazing sometimes to see how it's all there because it's all jugs, you know, that they filled and and hold up the mountain to leave it as a as a water sash for people um, between water sources so that you have water 
because because 60 miles is a long ways, mm -hmm. you know, and and people will dehydrate and die. Mm -hmm. And it's lifesaver, you know. You know, a lot of places, um, uh, even big rivers, what we call big rivers, are um, are drying up. So <laughs> small water sources, you can't count on them. Yeah, so we have to rely on each so other. So there has to be uh, water sashes of Stashes, I don't know what they're mm -hmm. called. Water caches. caches. Water mm -hmm. caches. 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 There we go. That's mm -hmm. exactly it. <laughs> Water caches. Um, part of trail magic, yeah. It was, mm -hmm. it was amazing. It's just, it seems like a lot of people dedicate themselves to this community after the fact. It's not a... So, I mean, or some people dedicate themselves to this community after the fact. It's not a one-and-done thing. Like, to be able to go out of your way for, for others like that, but having that sense of community, I've noticed even in jiu-jitsu, trail running, and even meeting people in the backcountry. I used to think, like, um, I should hide my backpack, you know, when I leave my campsite because I don't want people to steal it. Never had that issue. Everyone that I've met is very inviting. They want to teach me things. They want to ask me questions. It's, um, there's no fear of strangers. It's opposite, really. Yeah. Yeah. Um... <clears throat> you become almost kind of trail naive mm -hmm. um, because you do know most of the people you're hiking with and you're on the trail, which is usually very far from anywhere else, and you learn to count on other um, hikers to kind of stick to the, the hiker etiquette, mm -hmm. you know, because you, you're like, wh why would anybody want to go in my backpack and take something and carry and put more weight on their back. Yes. You know? <laughs> you know, like, you want to you wanna carry some of my stuff? I never thought of that. Yeah, if you're way out there, let's say you're like 50 miles out of the next, you know, road, if you don't have everything you need already, then you're in trouble. Yeah. Right? You should have carried it with you already. If you got all the way out there and you're just carrying an empty pack hoping to pick it up mm -hmm. from other packs, as you, <laughs> yeah. you know... You're most likely to be disappointed, and uh, you know, I mean, what could you steal? Food? Yeah, mm -hmm. okay, food. You know, if you're hungry, most hikers will give you food. Yeah. You know, we trade food. You know, we'd go like, hey, you know, I'm tired of ramen noodles. You have mac and cheese. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. yeah. You know, I have crackers. Oh, you have some peanut butter left. That's awesome. Yeah. You know. Uh, trail mix is a big trader, you know. Some people oh, okay. get tired of it, you know. You eat trail mix for five months, you know, you're done. So, <laughs> so some people love it, you know, especially if it's got M and M's in it. <laughs> yes, M and M's. Sense of community gives you a confidence, and you can leave your pack almost anywhere. You know, mm -hmm. if you have to go to the bathroom, you're on the trail. There's no bathroom, you know. Mm -hmm. Dense wood. You don't want to just take your pack with you into side off the trail to go poop mm -hmm. you know so you leave your pack on the trail what if somebody goes through well if somebody goes through they just hiked three days to get here <laughs> they're probably not gonna get you know go through your pack and you know if they do what we did used to do is add extra weight to people's pack as a joke, because it's funny. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so there was a few ways to do that. You could add rocks, you know. So you'd have to do it, you know, if you're hiking alongside them, you'd have to do it gradually so they don't feel uh, an immediate increase in weight. Got this so every, every time you stop, you know, 
you add a little rock to their pack. And hopefully, if they don't notice, by the end of the day, they've carried a lot of rocks from one point to the other for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> and that's, you know, I've, it's been done to me a couple of times too. And then at some point, there was the past the clock. There was, there was a big, you know those big old alarm clocks with the two bells on top? Oh, old yeah. school, like heavy, like metal <laughs> clock. One of those, like a big one, with a big metal chain like a chain, a chain link, uh-huh. you know, a big metal chain, like like you put it on your neck kind of thing, but like, like wave. yeah, like but like an inch thick, you know, big big metal, and that thing was at least like twenty pounds, right? And uh, you just pass it on to the next person when they didn't <laughs> notice. So every time it it went through, I think all the way from California to Washington, somehow it made it up there, but all because people. We're pranking each other, putting it in each other's backpacks, <laughs> right? You know, right before you leave in the morning, if somebody's still sleeping, mm-hmm. still in their tent, <laughs> sneak it in their backpack, whoosh, take it off. And and the thing is that there was a rule, you know, you can't give it back. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> if if you got it, you woke up in the morning and it's in your backpack, you got to find a sneaky way to get it to somebody else to carry it because you can refuse to take it, of course. Yeah. You know, if you find it. Uh, you know, who put it in your bag. So. Oh, that's cool. I yeah, but otherwise, nobody would steal anything, you know. I, mm-hmm. Not that I remember. That's so cool. Yeah, you're right. Being all the way out there, I mean, it kind of it weeds out anybody who would make those kind of choices anyways. Yeah. And um, I, I can't believe the clock made it all the way from California to Washington. I don't know if it made it to Canada, you yeah. know, but I've seen it. I, I've, I've met people that told me that it, it could be a myth. You know, mm-hmm. trail myth. Yeah. You know, but I've I definitely seen it through all of California, some of Oregon. I've seen it in Oregon. I haven't seen it get to Washington, but I was mm-hmm. told it made it there. <laughs> so The great know. trail clock. Yeah, somebody, somebody carried a, a long way. How was the experience um, hiking the PCT since it was a little more rugged? Was Did it require a lot more technical knowledge and preparation? No. Uh... I would say it's an easier trail to hike because so. it's not as steep. Um, the Appalachian Trail, and the, generally speaking, the East Coast trails that I'm used to um, were carved into the mountain in a very peculiar way a lot of times. You know, we, we would go straight up and straight down. If you were hiking down in Georgia and you see a high peak anywhere near you, you can count on the trail going right through the top of the peak. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, oh, crap, another one. You know, there was no, like, you know, walking, you know. At first, there wasn't even what we call switchbacking, you know, because they they do it a lot here because the mountains are higher, Mm -hmm. and you have to switchback because otherwise people won't go up there. (laughs) You know, so look, it's not as steep, so it's longer, but you're going back and forth and back and forth, and a lot of the trails back then in, in Georgia and North Carolina did not have switchbacks. And if they did, it was very steep. And it always took you to the top. <laughs> and Now, here's the thing. The other thing, down south, the tree line, the, the line where the trees start to grow is, uh, you know, depending on the cold weather, you know. So let's say up in New Hampshire, up in Maine... <coughs> Trees stop growing over 5,000 feet mm-hmm. or 4,000 feet, something like that, because it's very cold up there. So the tree line is 4,000 feet. 
So if you have a mountain that's higher than 4,000 feet, you get views when you get to the top. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so you go up north, there's views, right? Down south, Georgia, North Carolina, especially in the spring, because all the, the leaves are coming in, uh, you, you work, you're walking in a green tunnel most of the time. Even when you get to the top, there's not a lot of vistas. Oh, my. So, you, you know, they cut out vistas when you get to the top. You know, you, there's a little side trail that you can walk for a few hundred yards and you get a, a view. But a lot of times, you, you're literally in a green tunnel. Um, sometimes it's, you know, beautiful. It's full of flowers. It's, you know, canopy above you. But, uh, but you don't see a lot of views. You literally walk with your head down sometimes some days you know and then you, you're walking up and down and up and down so the the Appalachian Trail was in my opinion harder to hike physically mm-hmm. um, you get to New Hampshire and Maine I mean it's brutal the trails are brutal mm-hmm. you know a lot of times they're very rugged yeah very rugged um, and the West Coast and uh, the, the PCT first of all a lot of the trail is an equestrian trail, which is made it's for horse and you know um, pack animals too. Mm-hmm. So they, they, it's wider and it's more gradual. If they made it too steep, it would wear out uh, wear out too fast because of the hooves of oh, the, the okay. animals. So um, they make it they make it more you know comfortable for walking. There's mm-hmm. uh, um, just uh, the trails are built better, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know. It was built more recently, too, right? I, I think I think it was declared a, a national trail more recently. Mm-hmm. And the trails have always existed, and they just connected them, just like any of the national scenic trails. Trails were there, and they just took a group of trails and connected them. There's a group of volunteer organizations made them into one volunteer organization that mm-hmm. kind of oversees everything. And then in that way also you can get a thru-hiker pass Instead of getting individual passes for each state and their national parks uh, uh, permits, you know, mm-hmm. you can get a through hiker permit that basically covers you for that season for the whole trail. Wow. And, yeah. That's pretty know, straightforward, yeah. I can't remember. It was like 20, 30 bucks. I can't remember. Really? That's yeah, not bad. Yeah. I, I, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah, no, but... <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's like 100 bucks or something. I don't mm-hmm. know. It wasn't too much. Uh, yeah. One permit covers you all the all the national parks you know you go through yosemite uh uh king canyon national park and all that uh amazing places john muir trail is my favorite part of the whole trail that was your favorite part what was why is it was it your favorite because it's just so dramatic Mm. sceneries it's just it's just exactly what you'd expect it to be. Plus, mm-hmm. it was a snowy year, uh, 2009. There was a big snowpack. And so uh, the passes were still very snowy. There were, we, a lot of snow walking, a lot of water, a lot of water. And I love just, you know, walking through the mountains. You know, uh, when you're in the Sierras, it's high enough. I, I, I didn't have to filter the water. I was just, you know, basically at that point, I was walking with a cup. Mm-hmm. And there's water <laughs> everywhere. And you're just... Dipping your cup in in the mountain spring and drinking, you know, oh, and that glacial drinking like that water and just keep so walking, good. and uh, and my stomach got strong enough to the point where I could keep doing that almost the whole trail. I, I you know, unless it was low down, you know, down low mm-hmm. valleys, up in the mountains, I drink drink straight out of the streams. And, and down like, low, it's just because you don't have to worry about shit or a dead animal in the yeah. Uh, stream, well, right? 
there's always the it could there could be a dead animal up the stream you know there's always this famous uh picture in hiker backpacker magazine of a, of a bird peeing into a stream you know <laughs> so like, you're thinking to yourself like it would be here but first of all it's running water mm-hmm. it looks very clear and it's high up in the mountain so it's you know it's snow melt and uh i i also believe in you know reinforcing our bacteria yeah exactly you know you you may get sick once or twice Girardi you know, get a little diarrhea but our ancestors drank water straight out of the stream mm-hmm. they didn't have filters so yeah, it's not gonna kill you yeah. yeah well you know you know if you get giardia and you don't treat yourself mm-hmm. you know you could get dehydrated and die oh okay. you know you, you get if you start throwing up if you start having diarrhea you can't contain the water that you're drinking you could be in trouble so you, kn- you have to know how to treat yourself right but uh i never got sick so mm-hmm. yeah I'm, I'm here <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> He's aware of those signs. You know, yeah. yeah, just be careful and you know, look around, make sure it's clean water if you can. Mm-hmm. Uh, never know what's in the water, but yeah, I mean, you can tell the difference too on that. That like, if you see really murky water that looks like it has a bunch. Oh, of... dude, I drank some <laughs> shit that you don't <laughs> even want to. You know, from from horse troughs and yeah, because th- there's literally sometimes a sign not for human consumption, and you're like, Are "You kidding me? Yeah. There's no water for another twenty miles, not for human consumption." We'll see about that. Yeah, <laughs> that's number one. <laughs> well, the only reason it's not for human consumption is because it's stagnant water, you know. Mm-hmm. So it gets filled up every once in a, and it's mm-hmm. in the middle of nowhere. So there's a little, you know, mm-hmm. stuff growing on it. You know, it's it's. It's plants. Mm-hmm. It's not bacteria. It's not like there's somebody dumped a whole bunch of I don't know what in there. Yeah, no, no uh, shit floating. Oh uh, well, no. Probably. Plus, in stuff like that, I usually filter the water. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a filter with me. I had chemicals to treat the oh, water. The, the uh, chlorine tablets or the yeah, there's yeah. all kinds of stuff. Chlorine. You know, iodine, whatever mm-hmm. stuff that you can treat the water. Uh, never, never got sick. I had a cool little uh, with the Sawyer straw. Where I'll um, I'll put it in between the hose on my water bladder and yeah. it's made things so much easier. It just for filters me. when you suck out the water. Yep, it That's does. That's pretty cool. Unfortunately, I'm not really good at sucking. Yeah. So I have to, you have like, to practice man. Suck really hard. <laughs> 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 it's all about your uh, cheek muscles. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I gotta work those cheek muscles. <laughs> Teach me. <laughs> yeah. Baton <laughs> offers personal coaching. Uh, <laughs> Exercises. Well, the, the the worst thing about the the filters is that I hate it. They always clog up, you know. And when you're a through hiker, you don't. There's nowhere to go and like get a new one. <laughs> so you're in the middle of nowhere, and after a month, it's so hard to <coughs> pump the water through the filters mm-hmm. that I was like, I, I used to give up because I'd get like, you know, a centiliter of water in like an hour. Mm-hmm. Be like, spoil it or something. Yeah. You know? Exactly. At what one point, you know, do you you just say screw it and yeah, boil it out? And, uh, um, so screw it and just drink it. Yeah, screw, screw yeah. it. And just drink. I I drank out of very questionable water sources and <laughs> never had an issue. I really didn't. No. You know? Yeah, you know. And most of the time, the water, if it's brown or murky, it's either dirt or leaves. You know, oh. it's not the leaves, especially when they're brown. 
it's like tea. The mm -hmm. water basically gets the color of tea because oh. that's what the leaves do when they're brown. That's why tea mm -hmm. turns brown. Yeah. It's dried leaves. They have a reddish color, and they give that off into the water, and the water turned brown. So a lot of mountain brooks, especially back east because there's so many trees, they look like brown, you know? Mm -hmm. It's just tea. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're drinking it's tea. tea. Yeah. You, you heat it up, you have, tea, you know, tree tea. Mm -hmm. <laughs> tree tea. And, <laughs> and then if, if the water, like, sometimes they have silt in them, you know, so it doesn't taste very good, but it won't make you sick, mm -hmm. you know? There's very few things that, you know, if, yeah, if there's dead animals or mm -hmm. animals that poop. That would be obvious in some sense, or it could be obvious. I would well, if there's a pasture of cows, you know, somewhere nearby, mm -hmm. you, you go know, through fields. And I, I wouldn't drink any uh, any water within the vicinity of a town. Like, yeah, you water. get close to towns, you know, you start being careful. The, the Appalachian Trail is much lower elevations, and mm -hmm. it goes through a lot more towns and mm -hmm. crosses a lot more roads, so... I back then also I was I don't know maybe you could say it's it's funny to say because I was younger but I I was more timid about these things mm -hmm. you know like what happened if kind of thing because that's that's why I carried all that shit with me at first you know it was just it, you over over protect yourself yeah you over you know it, it's interesting because I I was in a lecture by. A, guy ca uh, called Lee Lynn Weldon I think Lynn Weldon. Lynn Weldon he was back in the day he was known as a lightweight hiker you know kind of a lightweight guru for hiking mm. as far as you know he would cut the straps on his backpack <laughs> and cut his the the handle off of his uh, toothbrush and like really go extreme you know he he would proudly say his Pack weighs twenty pounds, including water and food. You know, he wow. tarp, you know, some strings instead of a tent. There's a there's an art to it, apparently. Yeah. But I, you know, I went into uh, one of his lectures to hear because you know it's interesting, especially when you're a hiker. Mm -hmm. And I was hiking the Appalachian Trail at the time. It was in a town called Damascus in Virginia, mm -hmm. which is the tr the trail goes right through the town. It's kind of a center for the trail. People hike there, uh, stop there for a week sometimes, and they're very kind of hiker oriented. You know, there there's a lot of guest houses and kind of like mm, little like hiker town. hiker hostels. You know, yeah, trail mm -hmm. town. We call it trail town. Mm -hmm. And once a year, they hold a big gathering there called uh, Trail Days, and thousands and thousands of hikers, hundreds of tents, performances, a parade. It's really cool. Wow. So. Uh, I was I passed that town already. I passed Virginia. I was up further up in Virginia, about two weeks far, further up, and uh, I was in another town on the trail. And somebody was driving down to Damascus, and he stopped at the town that we were in because he knew there was going to be hikers there. Mm -hmm. uh, and he's like, "Who wants to go to Trail Days?" You know. Mm -hmm. So he took us there, and then he took us back to where we were on the trail, so we didn't have to hike again That's for two cool. weeks, right? So it, it's it's crazy. A lot of people, a lot of food, and, you know, a lot of partying. And then I went to this guy's lecture, and we were all expecting him to talk about, you know, cut your cut the handle off of the toothbrush and take the laces off of your shoes, and you know, like cut every little bit of what you can. He would just give us the formula, right? So everybody's sitting there like this. So what's the <laughs> secret? You know, because we want to we want to hike. We all know what the secret is. So what he starts talking about 
is why do we carry all this stuff with us? Mm. Why do we take a big tent with us? Why do we take all this food with us, excess water? Why do we take seven pairs of socks and five pairs of pants with us? Um, why do we carry all this stuff with us when we go out there? Mm. Especially on a through hike, you know? You're going on a wilderness experience and you're trying to maybe, you know, some people try to prove something to themselves, to other people. Some people try to get in shape. But you're trying to get out of this crazy modern life and just live in the wilderness for a few weeks, a few months, the whole trail. You know, some people do section hiking. And what he was saying is we do it because we're afraid. We're afraid that we're going to be cold. So we take a heavy parka. We take uh, seven layers of clothes with us. We're, gonna fr- we're afraid we're going to be hungry, so we take too much food, uh, food that we don't need for the time we're going out hiking. We're not, talk- we're not going to war, <laughs> right? We're going hiking for a specific amount of time for, uh, to cover a specific length of distance of hiking, you know? So you, you're planning it out. Of course, you want to have a little extra in case you get lost, but if you get really lost... You can't carry enough food, you know, to sustain you for all that time anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to have to find a solution anyway. So we're afraid, you know, to be hungry. We're afraid of the outdoors. So we take a big tent mm-hmm. and that zips up and has three layers, to, you know, to keep us from mosquitoes. And, you know, um, is waterproof and has another cover on top of it. And, you know, we take a mat, you know. So... He's like, you know, his point was figure out why you need all these things. And then you can get rid of all these things because you realize that you don't really need them, you know, or to a certain extent. It's like boots. Yeah. And they're waterproof boots so your yeah. feet don't get wet. Yeah. And, you know, the side effect is apparently every pound that you add on your feet is like adding five pounds on your back. Mm. That's what I've heard. That mm-hmm. I don't know if it's it's exact <laughs> formula. <laughs> Sounds Maybe right. Maybe it's though. twenty pounds. I don't know. But you're adding a lot more, um, and you're spending expending a lot more energy per pound that you're adding on your foot than per pound you're adding on your back. Mm. And add that, that to the fact that that heavy leather boots mm-hmm. require breaking in, mm-hmm. and it doesn't it, it's, it doesn't happen in a week. <laughs> you know, so. I had this heavy pair of really good boots, and the first two, three weeks, they were breaking my feet in <laughs> until my feet hardened, and, uh, you know, my feet, my shoes got wet and dried and wet and dried, and I opened, took them off and on, and eventually they softened up a little bit. Mm-hmm. By the time they were really soft and comfortable to walk in, they were falling apart, you know, <laughs> so I had to get new boots. So my point is... I'd rather, the, the whole trail, I was able to hike on technically two pairs of shoes. The boots that took me a good <laughs> amount of distance, I mean, they took me all the way to Connecticut. One, wow. pair, one pair of boots, but they were falling apart. They were being held together by duct tape. <laughs> and just, just, by the way, Montreal, amazing company, they just gave me a new pair of boots. Oh, did they? Yes. Oh, that's awesome. They just gave me a new pair. Anyway... Um, I changed, I didn't even wear the new pair. I changed the sneakers from them on, you know, and I hiked the second part of the trail from Connecticut to Maine in sneakers. It's a different world. 
You're not in pain. Your feet are light. If, you, if the shoes get wet, so what? You know, it's wet shoes. They dry up so fast. I literally, all I had to do, you know, was put, if I had a fire, you know, next to the fire, dry them up a little bit. Or you roll your um, shoes in your backpack and uh, sleeping bag. Really? Sleeping bag. Or uh, even better, you can sleep with them in the... Uh, next to your feet in the sleeping bag because your body heat dries them up during the night. You'd wake up and they're almost dry. Mm -hmm. My socks too. I would just put them in my sleeping bag and be dry by the morning. Oh. You don't realize how much body heat your body can you know, It's just mm -hmm. like a dryer inside there. <laughs> and all cool. that moisture just weeks out. Mm -hmm. So I changed my mind about boots. You know, It's better to have your ankles and your feet a little more exposed because your ankles, they get twisted a lot at first, you know, especially when it's rocky and pissing. Pennsylvania is awful. It's mm -hmm. full of rocks. Ooh. And when you have, even with my boots, I had the boots at the time, I would twist my ankle like seven times an hour. Oh you know, God. and it, it, your ankles get strong and they get used to it. Mm -hmm. But with sneakers, it's harder. Mm. And you have to have strong ankles and strong feet when you're hiking because mm -hmm. you'll hurt yourself. Yeah, because they don't have that support on there, so they could literally go yeah. 90 degrees. Your foot can twist uh, 90 yeah, degrees. It does, too. Mm -hmm. Hurts. Yeah, and that's what's fascinating to me with running about, uh, you know, the blade of a shoe. Yeah. Uh, I got those Vibrams. I wish they were a little more durable. Yeah. But you know how you have that blade. So once you, you're, it's, par it's, you know, on the ground flush. Once you go and go sideways and cross, there's like a an angle then the shoe automatically rolls all the way over. Yeah. However, the shoes that I have, they um, they have no blade to them. It's rounded mm -hmm. all the way up through the whole entire thing. There's no hard edges. <laughs> so if my foot were to go to twist to the right, it's not going to make that real fast jolt to 90 degrees. It can. It's a soft roll. Yeah, exactly. But you have to hold your feet together harder. Do you have to like keep your ankles? You have to focus on your ankles to keep them straight all the time, or yes. And then over time, I, I've read things where it's like the force of your uh, your ankle. If, it, if you were to roll your ankle, your, no muscle could stop it. But I, I'm um, I'm a little wary of that because I think over time you build supporting muscles, obviously. Yeah. And, and it'll. But if you twist it a lot, you know, you could weaken it too. That's what I got worried about because I twisted <clears throat> it uh, once or twice, and I was getting into trail running, yeah. and I'm like. I don't want this to be a problem. So yeah. I started doubling down on different shoes and experimenting. But I'll do like uh, single leg balances and, and trying to do things that require ankle stability. Yeah. And so that I could like hypercompensate for it, you know. It's uh, it's something that you learn to accept when you, when you do sports in general, mm -hmm. a contact sport like jiu-jitsu or outdoor sports, especially if you do it at a high intensity. Um Something you learn to accept is that, that something's always going to hurt, <laughs> yeah. especially when you're getting older. <clears throat> but a friend of mine said, I think I told you this before, that, that, that as long as it doesn't hurt in the same place every day, you're fine. <laughs> yes, you know, yeah. so if you wake up in the morning, it's a different place than yesterday, then you're fine. But if you get aches and pains that, that persist and keep going mm -hmm. at the same place, then you probably want to stop doing yeah. what you're doing. <laughs> We've got a problem. Yeah. <laughs> Mission control. <laughs> and so... From sitting in on that lecture, um, having to sit with blisters and, you know, walk for miles continually, um, 
going from dreading to putting up your tent at the end of a long day and waking up and not wanting to put on the shoes at first. And then you became sick for it in the sense that you're obsessed and you, you like it. You want Definitely. to put those shoes on. So has have those principles, um, have they translated over to your life after the fact? You know, I think whatever was already there in my character that, that either, you know, took me all the way, so to speak, you know, helped me finish the trail, even though it's I don't see it as a huge accomplishment, to be honest, because I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. It was fun. You know, I would do it in a heartbeat yeah. again. So it's not like people go like, whoa, how could you do that? And I was like, how could you not? <laughs> to, to me, it's it's something that's, it, yes, I, yes, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. Of course. Yeah. Um, sorry, what was the question? The, did any of the principles from, from doing that translate? Yeah, so we're, I think we're, we're creatures of, of convenience, mm-hmm. and we, we like to be comfortable, and we're lazy, <laughs> yes. all of us. And so when you don't have to, your body, you know, chooses the, the path of less, of least um, resistance, resistance mm-hmm. right? Uh, so, for example, you go back. I remember myself. There's a big climb when you finish the Appalachian Trail. <coughs> it's called mm-hmm. Mount Katadin. 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 And uh, I think it means the great one in, hmm. in native whatever they, uh, dialect that was back in Maine. But um, it's, a last, it's a last climb, and it's a very distinct climb because the last 100 miles before you get to that part in Baxter State Park in Maine are called the 100-mile wilderness. It's a name. It's a wilderness because there's no towns through there. There's some logging road, a lot of logging going on back there. But technically, you don't have supply points or 100 miles, you know, from the last town to the finishing point, the official fishing finishing point of the Appalachian Trail, which is on top of Mount Catanian. It's flat, fairly flat. That that whole 100 miles is fairly flat. It goes through dense woods, some mountains, a lot of water. And then there's like a, it's a 5,000 foot climb. It's like... At the mountain, it sticks above everything else in that area. Even though it's not a huge mountain, because it's five thousand feet, you know, but but for there, it's it's I think it's Maine's highest mountain. Mm-hmm. It's very distinct, very kind of like cone shaped kind of thing from, when you see it from behind. Mm-hmm. And when you get to the top, it's actually a knife edge with kind of like a kind of like a crater. Kind of looks like oh. on the other side. It's not really a crater, but that's the way it looks. Mm-hmm. It's a knife round knife edge. Uh, a pretty steep climb, you know. You kind of scramble up rocks sometimes too. There's even like some some uh, metal lad- ladders and stuff. Um, I believe we left most of our. It was me and my buddy that we finished together. <laughs> we left most of our the contents of our backpacks down at the ranger station, just not to carry because you go up the mountain and back. Mm-hmm. That's it's a finishing point, and then you come back to the ranger. <laughs> I guess my point is we finished. You know, you get up, there's a sign, you, you do the woohoo with your hands and take a picture, and, you know, you hang out for a little bit because you can't believe you just walked whatever my, amount of miles, 2,000 miles. And uh, and then you realize that's over, and now you have to get off the mountain and go home, you know, because there's no, there's no more hiking, you know? 
Mm-hmm. I mean, you could if you wanted. There's probably trails that keep going. You know, there's technically the International Appalach- Appalachian Trail, which keeps going into Canada. Wow. Uh, but it's an unofficial trail, I think. And uh, again, a combination of different trails. Mm-hmm. And so basically, you know, you know, you're done. You know, you've planned your trip. Probably have to go back home, whatever. So, climb down the mountain. I, I I got to the ranger station, and I'm sitting there on the steps of the ranger station, and I'm like, "What now?" You know. <laughs> so, I, it was also in the middle of a state park with only dirt roads. You know, so like really far from everywhere. So you had to like figure out a way to get to town now. Whoa. Um, just hitch a ride with some, you know, somebody that's a day hiker or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, get into a hostel. I stayed like in in town in Maine for a day, and then took the bus to Boston, and from Boston to Connecticut, where I lived before I got on the trail. And then within two weeks, I flew home. <laughs> Whoa. So I got back to Israel, you know, still kind of like in the haze mm-hmm. of the trip, you know, from this middle of nowhere wilderness experience you're all of a sudden you know you're flying on airplanes airports going back home you know kind of a shock to the system Gee, that must be a big shock and you're still hungry because you you do you develop a hunger you're you're burning off what eight nine thousand calories every day right wow you have uh, on average yeah, yeah you're you like know, sometimes furnace. less you I've know when you're a lot hiking, of people you know, that it's like a furnace you're just eating yeah and you're, you you can't eat enough so when you're on the trail it doesn't matter you you can you'll eat everything in your backpack and you will not gain a pound you'll just you'll still lose mass um especially guys lose a lot of muscle mass and so you get off the trail and the hunger doesn't go away for a good few months oh, you no. know <laughs> so people look at you like you're insane you know you go at family meals and you're sitting there and you're eating like an animal. <laughs> Where's the whole pig? <laughs> and uh, you eat, you know, you eat every like half an hour. Uh, your body's not is not caught up yet. Mm-hmm. And then you know you get a little fat. You know you get a little lazy, and your body very quickly realizes you're not a hiker anymore. You know. Uh, you stop waking up with the sunrise pretty quickly, you know, because you stay because you stay up late because there's lights. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I think the the things that I did take with me is that yeah, you, you can the, find peace, you know, uh, within yourself by being alone. Mm-hmm. You can find peace in being alone mm-hmm. in the middle of nowhere. And that that was a very relieving feeling for me because I was I was kind of f- afraid of being alone mm-hmm. out there. You know, you're not thinking about uh, you know I'll take the car and I'll go. Mm-hmm. You know, car camp. There's no plan B. Up in Cedro. Mm-hmm. You know, you're at least three days walk from anywhere. Three days walk from anywhere, um, any road. So being able to 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 get over that, you know, I'm I'm alone right now. I'm I'm literally by myself camping. If anything happens, nobody would know it until probably a few days from now, at mm-hmm. least. And getting over that fear, that's the thing I yeah, took with me, you know, finding that that peace of being alone by myself. Mhm. That, that was something I didn't have before. 
Mm. Always need people around, you know. You always mm. look for somebody to tell them about. You know, you go through a you see an amazing view up at the top of the mountain, a clear lake with glaciers, you know, and you immediately think about who I'm gonna tell about this, you yes. know, who who, yeah, exactly. Mm. I'll get a selfie. I'll get. I'm gonna. Oh, I wish this was this guy was here right now, mm. so you could see it. And finding that piece of just this is just for me right now. Mm-hmm. Nobody else gets this. This is an amazing sunset over in the Sierras, over a couple of lakes at Kearsarge Lake, and it was just me and my friend. Is uh, you know, you tell yourself that enjoy it for yourself. Mm-hmm. No, not everybody. I, you know, of course, I took pictures. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> of course, <laughs> I can't help myself. But that's because I like taking pictures, mm-hmm. and I like for me, I like souvenirs. You know, this. Mm-hmm. My wife's like five thousand pictures. What? <laughs> How? And I'm like, it's. It, it takes me back there, you know. Mm-hmm. I like, yeah. I like, I like to, pictures to relive something like yeah. that, an experience in which you savor for your entire life. And yeah. Yeah, and and I I don't remember a lot of it because mm-hmm. it's all blends together, mm-hmm. all the days of hiking, all the little stops. So looking at the pictures kind of puts everything in order in my mm-hmm. chronologically in my head, and I can kind of go back to the places and remember people and. Mm-hmm. Faces and stuff. I like that because uh, jur- I find journaling to be really helpful for that because I'll either forget like, things that are really fun, experiences that I had, mm-hmm. either f- forget them entirely and they'll blur together, uh, or I'll remember them incorrectly. Yeah, <laughs> our, mind, our, our mind embellishes things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did. I kept a journal for um, the Appalachian Trail. Ooh. I wasn't very strict about writing every night, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and it was kind of adolescent, you know, when I read it now, I look back at it, it was kind of like, what the hell is this? Yeah. You know, so you're, you're trying to write fancy mm-hmm. or you're trying, but it still documented a lot of things that I would have never remembered. Mm-hmm. I don't know where that thing is too. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's really? back home in Israel somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a notebook. It wasn't huge, but it followed me throughout the Appalachian Trail. And, you know, there's things when I went back and read it after a few years, Things is like, all oh, right, that happened. <laughs> I yeah. did that. I was there at that time, and that happened. Mm-hmm. You know, I met the guy that was the first official, the first guy to ever hike the uh, Appalachian Trail end to end. His name is uh, Earl Schaefer. When I met him, he was like 85 or something. Mm-hmm. He did this back in the 40s <coughs> when there was no trail. So it's like, yeah, he just decided, I'm going to walk from Georgia to Maine. And he was the first one to officially hike the entire trail that was just kind of completed, uh, bushwhacking a lot of it. And uh, I, I met him because he came to Damascus, to Virginia, to that gathering, right? And it was 50 years to his hike or something. And so... He uh, apparently he had hiked that year again with the help of friends or sections of, of the trail, but yeah, he completed another hike. And then I met a guy called Bill Irwin, who was a blind guy who hiked the entire Appalachian Trail with a dog. <laughs> what? Yeah, blind. Now I'm, I'm not. It's, people think a trail, you know. It's mm-hmm. it's not like a, a, it's like a mountain goat trail. Sometimes mm-hmm. you know, it's like. Mm. I fell, like, there's there's certain sections of the trail that I fell, like, four or five times during this short section. And I'm like, 
how can he do this with your eyes closed? <laughs> how can he do this blind? And this guy's amazing. I met him a few years after he completed his uh, through hike. He, he came up to the trail to do some trail magic. And I was hiking through Maine, and he and a few of his friends took a few kayaks and got to this campsite that can only be accessed by water or by hiking. They brought tents with them uh, and a ton of food and made uh, pasta dinners every night on the trail. And I'm talking like in the middle of really nowhere, uh, Maine. Uh, (laughs) So you you hike the trail and you expect to get to like just a campsite um, and there's a whole setup of a few, you know, tents and a big pot of pasta and... And you get to meet Bill Irwin, which had a different dog already, you know, a dog yeah. previous dog guy. And talk to a guy that hiked what you're doing right now. He did it blind, you know, <laughs> a few years ago. So it puts you, in, you know, it puts things in perspective a little yes, bit. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it makes you feel like, oh, you know what? Maybe this is not so special. Yeah. You know, I'm not such a special kid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, you know, and, and it, it also made me realize how not of a big deal it is, mm. you know? It's just a bunch of people putting backpacks on their back and going for a walk. Yeah. You know, it's not, you know, people go like, wow, it's amazing, this trip that you did. It, it's, uh, it's, it's just a hike. Mm-hmm. It's just going for a walk with some, you know, there's a lot of things that I can think about what the people do in their life that require real dedication, mm-hmm. you know, uh, real like for years mm-hmm. you know uh people that work in crappy jobs you know people that people that do you know get up every morning at like four in the morning and go drive trucks for like 15 hours you know every day or for for weeks at a time away from home how could you do that mm-hmm. i couldn't sit in a in a closed cabin for weeks at a time you know driving away from my family that's insane in my eyes mm-hmm. It's not insane, no. truck drivers. <laughs> you guys are awesome. But it's just—it seems like it would be—it'd be difficult for you to to be in that scenario, and that, that's interesting because you're right—you would romanticize like, oh, you you completed the a, the ACT or the or the PCT or the Appalachian Trail, yeah. and, and in reality, yeah, you're you're walking. Yeah, and when it, when you get over. Past the uh, physical hard hardship, mm-hmm. you know, or in other words, when you get in shape, because uh, you either get in shape or you go home. You know, you don't. Mm-hmm. You're not going to keep hiking if if you're completely not enjoying it. It's. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of painful experience at first, um, but I've, I've, in my head, I, I knew that I think once I've lost the weight and got in shape. And you feel the changes happening, which is also pretty cool because because mm. because you, you're doing it this every day, mm-hmm. as all day you're hiking, mm-hmm. twelve hours a day, you know. So within a week, you literally start seeing like what athletes would call results. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, it's it's funny because when I work out at home, when I work out in again real life, uh, it could take me probably months or a year or two years to get to that level of physical fitness that I was. And by the way, after my hikes, I was in the best physical fitness of my life by far. 
There's no question about it. I I could run a, marath- a marathon, and I'm not exaggerating. Mm-hmm. Just because uh, you you do cardio work all day long mm-hmm. with weight on your back, yeah, up hills, oh. all day. <laughs> that's that's what you do, right? You're like at first you're thinking about it, like so. What do you do, to, like uh, to not get bored? What do you mean? You you walk to see the views. You know that mm-hmm. you you want to get to the next stop, the next town, the next experience, catch up with your friends that are a couple of days behind you, mm-hmm. uh, get to the next lake, the next water, mm-hmm. you know, and so mm-hmm. you walk, yeah. you know. What you, else do you do? You what just else walk. do you do? You keep walking. So uh, you, you, at some point, you're like, you get in shape, so you start pumping harder, you know, mm-hmm. you start walking harder. Uh, you start running sometimes, you know. Downhills, you can run sometimes. Oh, yeah. It's not good for your knees, but mm-hmm. it's, you know. Well, it's fun to bomb those hills. <laughs> yeah, it's you know weight on your back and everything. Yeah, you gotta be true. careful. But if you get in shape, you start pushing yourself a little more. Mm. You know, you f- start feeling like you, you under- start understanding what marathon runners are feeling, what people that go long endurance, you know, events uh, of running and walking go through. Um, but you do it for fun. Yeah, and I'd imagine it, it would instill confidence in yourself too. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, confidence in my physical abilities, and mm-hmm. I, I know what I can get to if I if I put myself, invest myself in something. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, if I uh, um, take it all the way, mm-hmm. so to speak, ride the discomfort. Yes, mm-hmm. you know, because we all. Uh, it, we all find out things about ourselves when we when we start really pushing boundaries of what we thought was available or or uh, um, or possible mm-hmm. earlier. You know, you find things about yourself, mm-hmm. and uh, you find, like I said before, that what you used to consider discomfort before is something you learn how to embrace. Mm-hmm. And uh, runners, you know, runners uh, get this runner's high, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, endorphins, adrenaline get released. They're basically your body's painkillers, you know. Yep. And, uh, and you get addicted to that high. Mm-hmm. And, and you get the same thing as a hiker. Mm-hmm. Your legs ache, literally ache for walking. I would get up in the morning and my legs are like uh, pulsing. You know, you feel like because uh, your, your body is ready, is starting to get ready to walk. Mm-hmm. You know, and that pain would go away as I start walking. Whoa. <laughs> of course, like it could be pain from from walking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it could be it could be because that I'm that I'm in pain from like exerting so much effort mm-hmm. on my joints and my muscles. But I want to believe it's because my legs wanted to walk. Mm-hmm, exactly. <laughs> and you're, you're, and there's something to be said for using your, your body's pharmacopoeia of dopamine Absolutely. and serotonin. And like, there's something also to be said for doing something when you feel like initial discomfort and realizing that on the other side of that discomfort is something far sweeter than you can oh, imagine. Yeah. And like, yeah. whether it's, you know, you're, you're trying to, to form different habits within... I guess conventional civilian life and here, um, it sucks at first. Everything kind of sucks at first. Yeah. But over time, just doing it, it becomes normal and you compensate and you become stronger for it. I think we, we connect to something a little more primal when we, when we get in good physical shape, Mm -hmm. 
because, um, again, our ancestors had to be in, in good shape. That they didn't have like time to to be a couch potato, mm-hmm. right? They, they needed to gather and hunt and whatever. Mm-hmm. And so we, it takes us back to that more primal condition, mm-hmm. you know, where your body is what it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. You know, the full potential of what you are. The, the you know, com- getting to a place where your body works mm-hmm. And and it's oh, you notice all of a sudden it works a lot better, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, it's easier to get up. Of of and I have back problems, you know. Um, getting in shape, get, getting in good physical shape, always made me better rather than worse, you know. Because you always, you know, athletes can't have back issues, really bad back issues. If you overexert yourself, you you harm yourself. I found. The benefits outweigh the, <laughs> you know, the negative parts of of working out. It, I hurt. Mm-hmm. I hurt after jujitsu. Always, I hurt after hiking. Always, my back hurts. But overall, in the long run, it makes my back feel better. Mm-hmm. Um, my knees feel better overall because they're meant to work. They're meant to move. You know, mm-hmm. you're exercising them. You're you're injecting oxygen into those joints into the muscle and uh you're you're helping them heal first mm-hmm. of all and get stronger mm-hmm. and i think it's up here too you know up yeah. ahead it's, it's I, like how, how you interpret dysphoria uh or discomfort dysphoria they have there's like a dynorphins which is a, a hormone that's the opposite of endorphin and that's the you eat spicy peppers your cardiac yeah your cardiac um response like when you're in jiu-jitsu and you're you can't breathe that's dysphoria and i think in some aspects um how you perceive that like in uh jiu-jitsu you're you're in the point to where you feel like you can barely breathe right but over time you learn to be comfortable there yeah you, you learn you know what to expect when you get there you're like oh i know what this is i'm not dying or you know this person's not crushing me i can just just take a deep breath we know what to do here. Let's let's do this. Work it like a technician. Exactly. And I think when you do that and you know what to expect, then you're not so fear driven and you can act instead of react. And the um, with you're right though we are lazy because how the strength is, um, the body super compensating, uh, so it does not have to feel that level of discomfort. So it builds all of the, more muscle than it needs. So that your your ass isn't tired and exhausted anymore, and therefore you you, you feel the better for it. Mm-hmm. And when you go back out next time, you've plateaued because that's easy. So now you can go further because your body doesn't want to be in pain all the time. But putting it in pain makes your body grow. Isn't it? Uh, I think I read it somewhere. It said that um, your your pain threshold. Is what um, really motivates you, or something like mm-hmm. that. I'm not sure exactly. You know, <laughs> so if you can raise your pain threshold to t- t- teach yourself to endure more pain, you'll be able to improve better. I guess. Mm, yeah. But um, I may be messing it up. Yeah, that sounds interesting. Sounds <laughs> I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for coming on though and sharing your story, Matan. Oh, it's I, my pleasure. I, I appreciate. I, it. I love talking about hiking in general and the trips that I took. Mm-hmm. And if yeah. you're ever uh, 
doing any day hikes as the weather gets a little warmer let me know i'm always looking to get out there man yeah i i need to get out there too you know it's it's uh it's easy to to forget all about it and kind of (laughs) like next day the next day the next day Mm -hmm. you don't end up going out there yeah exactly putting it putting it off i've done that with uh my trip to stahik and i'm trying to do from mm-hmm. Highway 20 out here. Oh, it's a nice town. You yeah, go. I dream of it so because I just love that. There's no uh, for listeners, I guess. It's just like the place in Maine yeah. where they're the only way to get to Stahikin is by uh, kayak or boat um, or hiking in. Yeah, and it's a town of like a couple hundred people. There's like barely any cars yeah. in that little. It's town. It's considered the last town stop on the PCT mm-hmm. on the Pacific Crest Trail. Oh before getting to the Canadian border. Um, and it's the trail doesn't go right through the town. It gets to a, a place where there's a dirt road where you can walk to, to the town. But yeah, nobody can get there unless they take a ferry, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a really cool little town. We stopped for a couple of days there and relaxed before completing mm-hmm. our trek. Oh, yeah. My friend caught up with me. I met Hungry, Hungry... Uh, Jeff uh, Jeff Cho. I met him on the first day of hiking. We, I, we got off the bus. Our, his, his friend dropped him off, and I got off the bus on, at, on, at the Mexican border. And uh, we started technically hiking at the same time, you know. We didn't know each other, said hi at the border, mm-hmm. and then ended up camping together for the first few days because we kind of got to the camp, same campsites. And uh, it turned out... He was a great guy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we started hiking. We started hiking together basically uh, for the rest of the trip. Mm-hmm. Kind of, you know, sometimes he was ahead of me, sometimes I was ahead of him, but most of the time we hiked together. Um, have made a really good connection with him. And when I got to Stehiken, he was behind me. I was, I was, I hiked a little faster. I can't remember what. And um, I was waiting for a package to arrive from my, from my girlfriend at the time. Um, and, <laughs> and, uh, it just delayed me there. So it, ha- as it happened, he arrived at the town two days later and he was surprised to see me there. And, uh, we decided, you know, we had a week left of hiking, you know, we decided to finish it all together. And we, so we got to the Canadian border together and then, um, I actually, we walked back instead of going into Canada and going through the back to the border we just mm-hmm. got to the border and walked back um never left the wow. u.s really yeah just stepped outside of it for a second mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh walked back to some past three days back and hitched you know back home back mm-hmm. to mount vernon <laughs> wow well no we went what's the town on the other side of highway 20 um Passat or mazama yeah, somewhere over there. Or Matt, Matt, yeah, there, Mazama. There's a town that kind of looks like a western... Oh, Twisp. Uh, something Thorpe. Winth- or Winthrop. Winthrop, Winthrop yes. Yeah. So, yeah, we stayed there one night and then took a ride back to Mount Vernon mm-hmm. to my girlfriend's house. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right off the trail. Man, must have been so nice to be home. It but was, but time. again, you know, if you, you're getting off the... One of the most yeah. amazing trails, hikes you've ever done after five and a half months. I mean, winter was kind of mm-hmm. coming in too, so it was getting cold. We got a little snow up there at the passes in the last few days. Um, but 
Yeah, I was like to come back. I just didn't have any plans at the point. So when you're talking about the ACT, um, the AT or the AT, whoops, yes, AT. AT. Thank you. And uh, when you're at the end and you're up at the top of the mountain, that was the first thing that I thought about. I was like, I wouldn't want it to be done. Mm. Uh, that would be really hard for me. It was difficult. It's you, you don't want it to be over. You want the conveniences of modern life. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's not like you don't want to take a shower or eat <laughs> steak, you know. But it it becomes a way of life. It literally becomes, you know, you wake up in the morning, you make your little breakfast in your on you know on your stove, eat your breakfast, fold out your tent, walk for a few hours, make your lunch, walk for a few hours, make a snack, walk for a few hours, filter your water, get to your campsite, set up your tent, make your dinner, go to sleep. Your body goes into this zone of uh, of routine. That's uh, it feels very good too, mm-hmm. very healthy. You know, it mm-hmm. feels very healthy. Mm-hmm. Even the the food isn't healthy because <laughs> yeah. you can't really carry healthy food to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can, but you can't. Yeah, it can go bad, heavy. And uh, so, yeah, it's easier to carry the heavy calorie food. You know, mm-hmm. the, the stuff that's dense in calories, which is not so good for you. Yeah, exactly. And uh, but your body takes it you know it's all mm-hmm. yeah you're burn burning off. like a furnace yeah so that's what i've heard is that people have actually noticed an increase in performance when they switch to junk food because of how dense it is and the calories dude we used to walk like when i resupply in towns that was the only time i did this when you'd walk through the aisles and check what has the most calories in it so you could you know like there was three kinds of brownies you know single wrap brownies and I would get the one with the most calories in yep. it. <laughs> like, literally, That's like, oh, so this weird. one's got 1,500 calories. This one's 1,250. Yeah. <laughs> Three of these, please? Yeah. <laughs> you know, because you, you're carrying more calories per weight, mm-hmm. you know, per pound, uh, which gives you more energy, mm-hmm. you know. And you, you can't ever carry enough calories to, to compensate all the stuff you're burning. And that's why your body eats into your muscle structure mm-hmm. and that guys tend to and they, this is from a research i met this girl that was doing this research about nutrition for hikers wow i don't remember anything except for this fact so guys tend to lose weight hiking most girls gain weight hiking in muscle Whoa. it's something about hormone hormonal <laughs> differences between guys and girls but guys tend to their body starts eating once it eats into the res- reserves of fat starts eating into muscle mm-hmm. with girls it somehow happens that because maybe they have higher fat content in their body mm-hmm. um, but a lot of girls gain a lot of muscle weight and so they become bulky. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> so yeah, you see all these girls at the end of the hike. All these guys are scrawny, strong legs, but scrawny, you know, big beards. And all the girls have like legs like football players. <laughs> Super girthy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome, man. <laughs> well, thank you, Matan. I appreciate it. It's my pleasure. It, thanks for thanks for inviting me. Woo! That was fun. Man, doing over 2,000 miles twice? That's crazy. I'd imagine you'd have to have an indomitable will, but I suppose, like many things, you just get used to it. That leaves a lot of hope for myself, because 
whenever I, I have that inner voice, that inner bitch who's just like, stop, quit, turn back, I know if I just keep pushing, I'll get used to it. It was interesting when Matan was talking about how he would dread getting up and hitting the trail in the beginning of his uh, travels on the uh, Appalachian Trail. But over the next couple of days, he would actually long or get excited to get on the trail. After a while, he would crave it. I always like to think of it like Stockholm Syndrome. I mean, I hated running when I began. And I know some of you out there are the same way. But after you overcome that initial discomfort, you become, or you can become obsessed or addicted. It's just, how do you get yourself to that point? I really enjoyed this conversation with Matan. I sure as hell know that I think I could do it too. And I hope you guys find it in yourselves to go and pursue your own adventure doesn't even have to be outdoors just something put yourself in your own little crucible pursue your own adventure whether it's outside or within i'm gonna play you guys out with a song by christoph crane i figured it was fitting for this episode it's called nowhere found you can check him out on bandcamp f to i to x.com or on youtube Thank you guys for listening. If you like this show, please rate, review on iTunes, Google Play, wherever you get this stuff. I got some exciting guests coming on for you. I'm going to talk about some ethics, a little more outdoors things, virtual reality. What? We going to another dimension. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's only getting better, my friends. Y'all have a wonderful spring. Bye. When you wake up in the morning, get on your horse, click your heels and say goodbye Now all day long he was dealing with the feeling that he tried to work around But every which way he looked, there was nowhere to hide, nothing was found Found, nowhere found, nowhere found Innocent or like no strangers Come around this neck of the woods This part of town Oh my A part of me knows that I should go back But a part of me knows that if I try That I would never find what it is I need to find Why? Cause I'm bound Nowhere bound Nowhere bound Now on my way I've seen families working Just to maintain a peace of mind Peace of mind My way it seemed thieves trying to take what the families had Like now this piece is mine This piece is mine said everything happening outside of me is a reflection of what's inside so i asked this man and turned into a ghost so this is all on me he said no silly ducks on all of us turn the rock back into a seed 
I said a couple of years back there came a time where our kind was faced with a choice. One option was we could gain the awareness of how to experience joy. But with that joy there comes a catch it. One you can't catch with the net said if you get that joy we'll be destroyed. said and done, sealed and locked away. We were living life at an even keel and we never got angry. But once we learned our right and wrongs, our impulse was to revolt and judge and then, then came the disease. Now believe me or not, there was a time where everyone was more divine in the connection as apparent as the stars. But with the selfish defense mechanism due to the fear of death, it seems that somehow we forgot who we are. She was wearing a shawl, couldn't see her eyes, barely nothing at all. I said, excuse me, ma'am, how can I help? She said, I have a seat, glad to meet you. It seems to me like you're having issues with being happy, son, but it's not your fault. The instant that she touched my hands, her vein like a train ran up my chest, and in my heart a choir sang in tune. It was the first time for a very long time that I felt alright, I felt alive, and I knew inside that something had just grew. She said, you knew, you said, I knew. to a stream that reminded me that everything winds up in the same spot in the exact same spot everything was before and with every spin that the earth goes round depending on its distance from its source that puddle at the bottom rises above the ocean floor yeah. all these creatures all around me breathing one another's air some creatures think before they breathe some creatures clearly do not care and i cry when i sing that lion tear the baby deer into shreds and stubs till i watch to bring it back to the den and share it little cubs now i'm found no way found no way action that I had before I made it to my destination was with some tree that somehow learned to talk. Imagine that. It said life goes on to the same degree that your roots reach deep to the season's need with the freedom's breeze your leaves will all fall off. Yeah it said. It said life goes on till it can't no more in a pattern made in a spiral form and everything is bound to meet again. To the voice we know from an angel's lips through a stranger's skull We'll find out how that old beginning ends 
will be found. Nowhere, nowhere.